We know that somewhere in the world, someone downloaded this podcast, but we don't know anything about you. The folks who support this show would love to know just a little bit about who is listening. If you have two minutes, it really does only take two minutes. Help us make this show an even better experience for you by telling us more about yourself. Just go to ListenerQ, L-I-S-T-E-N-E-R-Q.com forward slash pull up and take the short survey. You can also give us direct feedback on the show, which we would love to hear. And as a thank you, you'll be entered in a drawing for a $100 Amazon gift certificate. Two minutes. ListenerQ.com slash pull up. That's ListenerQ.com slash pull up. Russell Westbrook in The Fan in Utah. I don't have the best of attitudes when I'm angry. I try to stay as composed as possible. But when someone is talking about your family, making derogatory remarks about your wife, right. your kids, and you're already angry... There comes a time where a lot of things are set aside because these people wouldn't be saying these things to our faces off the court. When you have a generational talent like Saquon Barkley, based on predictions, they say Adrian Peterson, they say a better, faster Ezekiel L.A. who's able to catch the ball out of backfield. Why don't you take him? Why? I think this series will be a little bit more competitive than it was in game one. I look forward to seeing Snyder's adjustments. He's a very good coach, and it'll be interesting to see what they do with James Harden because he did put up 40 and hit seven threes. Welcome back to the fifth episode of Pull Up. I'm CJ McCollum. Jordan Schultz will be joining us shortly, but first, I have to let you know what we're going to talk about today. Coming to you live, live as of Tuesday around 2.40 p.m. in New York City. We're both in New York City. I may be linking up with Jordan tonight, so this will be a great conversation before the games we're going to see tonight on Tuesday. We'll have to talk about the offseason. We'll have to talk about the Cleveland Browns, obviously, the draft, Baker Mayfield, a lot of discussions about whether we made the right decision or the wrong decision. Lance Stevenson and the way he taunts LeBron. Uh, I think that it doesn't bother him, but we can discuss that as well. We have a poll active on Twitter. We'll be doing polls every week to allow fans to engage with us and kind of basically dictate what we talk about. But without further ado, Jordan Schultz, welcome. It is a tremendous pleasure to be here today because I didn't realize you were in New York City. You're in my town now, and which means we're not drinking the Oregon Finos. We're going straight to the Russian River Valley. <laughs> I look forward to that, man. You've been hyping up this Cali Pinot for a long time now. And as I said before we started recording, I'm going to get you some, some wines from, from Oregon so you can really understand and appreciate the greatness of the grapes we have. Oregon Pinot, a little more mineral, right? A little more earthy? Yeah, a little bit more earthy, depending on, obviously, depending on the year. Um been drinking a lot of 13s lately, but if we go to 08 or 06 or 03, you'll definitely be able to really understand and uh, have that palate of yours, you know, blessed with uh, what we have to offer. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, I'm excited. You know, you mentioned Baker Mayfield. Bring it to me, man. What do you think? Yeah, that was I'm, a big controversy. For those of you that follow me on Instagram at 3J McCullum, you'll see that I had my jersey on. I was in L.A. visiting my agent, planning my summer out, uh, getting, getting the uh, last of my exit physicals uh, accomplished there. And the draft happened. It came and it went, and there was mixed emotions. Baker Mayfield's a great player. You know, obviously super, super efficient in college, 70% plus completion percentage. He's done a lot of great things. You know, being a walk-on, having won multiple Big 12 championships, leading his team. Obviously, there's some off-the-court things that have come to light, you know, over the course of his career, but he seemed to overcome that and kind of put that behind him. But as a Browns fan, 
a guy who's seen us draft so many quarterbacks and fail year in and year out. You've seen the jersey where they continue to scratch the name off and add names uh, to that list. Um, you can't help but to think, you know, with Baker Mayfield, you know, being about 5'11", 6 foot, being a dynamic quarterback, Heisman Trophy winner. You hear the comparisons to Johnny Manziel, and I, I like Johnny coming out of college, and I was a fan of him, but I'm not going to put them in that in that same category. They're two different people. They've been to through two different things, circumstances, obviously Baker being uh, a walk-on multiple times and, and kind of turning the tide, being a number one overall pick, even with some of the stuff uh, he's done off the field. They kind of kind of put that in the in the back seat. But for me, the biggest thing is this. Are they going to start him right away or allow him to compete, you know, for the starting position with uh, Taylor there in position, who's a very good quarterback in his own right and able to control a game? That's the first question. The second question I have as a Browns fan is is simple. Why don't teams like the Browns take best available more often? I think Baker Mayfield's good, and he's going to turn out to probably be a good quarterback. I hope there's a lot of quarterbacks available, and I think one of them is going to be a bust for sure because that's the way it always works. But when you have a generational talent like Saquon Barkley, who's a for sure going to be you know 10 years basically based on predictions. They say Adrian Peterson. They say a better, faster uh, Ezekiel Elliott who's able to catch the ball out of backfield. Why don't you take him? Why? Well, they felt like... They had a generational type of player, I believe, in Baker Mayfield. Now, I, I agree with you about Saquon being the best player in the draft, and I thought the Giants hit a home run by taking him second. But the thing about Mayfield, the comparison to Manziel, I, I think it's a lazy comparison, see. And here's why. Manziel was this, like, swashbuckling, run out of the pocket, you know, <laughs> backpedal, throw off his back foot, These all these crazy, you know, plays. And, and Mayfield does some of the same stuff. But he's much more of a traditional guy. He doesn't really run as much. Uh, he's much more accurate. In fact, P- uh, PFF said he was the most accurate quarterback in the draft, which is interesting given that a lot of people would have said, you know, Rosen or maybe, um, you know, Lamar Jackson. And then you think about the fact that Baker Mayfield was – just to give you an idea of how much this guy wins, he never lost a road game <laughs> at Oklahoma. Not once. He was 13 13- – and four against ranked opponents. He won a state title in high school, almost led OU to a national championship. All this guy is is about winning. Now, I think there's some extracurricular stuff there, but I don't think this is the Johnny Manziel, don't study the playbook, big bust. I I think he is a much more pro-ready player. I pray and hope that you're right. I think that I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt, having watched him uh, this season. I went to the Ohio State-Oklahoma game, and he was he was efficient. Mm-hmm. He was excellent. He was in the pocket. He was poised. Uh, he danced around when he had to. On the road, too. On the road. He danced around when he had to, but for the most part, he, he stayed in the pocket. He, take, he took shots. He, he threw across the middle. He threw deep outs. He threw the long ball. He showed a versatility, and then what I liked about him is that he's a dog. When he put that flag in the middle of the field, I liked it. Even being from Ohio, I was like, yeah. Yeah, that's the swagger that you need to be successful. If you're not confident in yourself, if you don't exude confidence, no one will believe in you. No one will follow you. The way he, the way he believes in himself is, is unlike anything I've seen. And I love that post he had with Brett Favre, uh, kind of you know mimicking Brett Favre from, oh, from yeah. years ago. That in, in was the, in like the dorm room. Yeah, that was super super dope, man. But from a drafting standpoint, I think that our GM has done a good job with. Uh, Acquiring assets, we got Jarvis Landry, we got uh, Carlos Hyde, we got a lot of pieces in place. We drafted Chubbs, uh, we took the DB from Ohio State. Antonio Callaway. Antonio Callaway. Florida. 
Yeah, Florida. We we took the DB from Ohio State. We did a lot of things to where uh, the pieces are in place, and I'm going to go out on a limb and say we're going to win five to five to seven games this season, depending on uh, injuries. Obviously, health will play a factor, but I say five to seven games this season. That's my that's my estimation. Yeah, I like that. I think that's about right. I think that's. I, I just feel like with Mayfield, see that you know he's not. He, I think he's immature to a degree, but he's not anywhere near what Manziel is and, and was. Right. And everybody I spoke with, uh, or most, at least most people I spoke with, said that around the league that they felt like they liked Mayfield the person. I mean, it was like the same thing over and over. <laughs> I never really actually heard anything bad about him. You know, maybe some people That's were awesome. more indifferent, but for the most part, it was really positive. Like I don't think, and I also don't think this is a, you know, a situation where you have like a, a Tim Couch. And I know you, you, you go back to 1999. Who was oh goodness! Total bust. Please don't do that. You know this is not Tim Couch. This is not this is not Brandon Whedon. This guy is the real deal. So okay, so I think we're in agreement. That's good to know and comforting. When I spoke with Phil Yates uh, last night at this uh, event in New York City for uh, for Twitter, basically releasing new things, he was happy with the draft as well, kind of confident and and where it was heading. Uh, I don't know if happy was the right word to use for the draft, but he was confident in the direction the Browns were heading. So. That's that's very comforting. But on a more important note, because football is a long ways off, we're talking playoffs right now. We're in the midst of some semi-competitive series, although the Warriors showed their strength and flexed their muscles on New Orleans in Game 1. With Game 2 being tonight and Steph actually returning, I think we'll probably see more of the same. But a new series is starting, the Cavs and Raptors. But before we discuss the Cavs and Raptors, we have to talk about Lance Stevenson and his play. In that first series, I thought he played pretty well. Obviously, trying to distract LeBron was one of his uh, tactics, so to speak. And one of the things that was posed was a uh, question posed was, does a team benefit from having a guy like Lance Stevenson who can rattle a superstar or is it not worth the hassle? What do you think? Because I feel like <laughs> a guy like Lance, it, it, to a degree, it starts to become counterproductive. And Oladipo said something. He said he, he did what he always does. It's not really shocking. This is talking about LeBron. Mm-hmm. And Lance, it's almost, it feels like LeBron, it's, it's not, it doesn't even bother him anymore. He's like a little fly, you know? <laughs> and every once in a while, you kind of you push him away or a little fly, you know, try to get him out of your space. But I, I can't imagine the, that a guy like LeBron or, or any kind of superstar would be bothered. And the other thing about it is Lance is a good player. You know, he's, he's a functional NBA player. Right. And it does take away from the fact that he makes plays and helps them. Um, it's, and I do feel like it is counterproductive to a degree. I think it blurs his image a little bit. However, I think Lance is a good player. He's competitive. He's fiery. As he said before, being from New York and kind of growing up the way he did, he's not afraid of anything. And he, he, he rises to the challenge. Often. However, I will say this. Superstars don't get rattled. Rarely ever do you see a superstar get rattled, especially one of LeBron's caliber. Um, they've already failed multiple times throughout their career. They've succeeded at such a high level to where they have supreme confidence, almost undeniable, unbelievable confidence to where they believe that they can sway any game. They can make anything possible. So I think that the fact that he competes you know, with LeBron and tries to get in his ear is, is, it, is admiring. It's uh, it's probably good for the team in terms of you know creating momentum when he does get a stop or he gets the loose ball and is able to tangle LeBron up or you know trick him into to getting a technical foul as he was able to successfully do. But ultimately, when you look at the box score and you look at the final stats throughout the series and, and in that final game, <laughs> LeBron is not faced. He's what he put up forty five. Um, 
13 and whatever the case may be. He started at point guard and did whatever he wanted throughout the game and was only slowed down by fatigue and maybe some cramping and minor injuries that allowed Kevin Love to, to, to really impact the game in that fourth quarter and some other guys to step up. But uh, I don't think he's phased, and I don't think most superstars are phased by that because at this point in your career, you've seen it all going from high school to college to the NBA. You've seen boxing ones, double teams, face guards. You've seen fans yell ridiculous things at you. And speaking of fans yelling ridiculous things at you, I this wasn't even planned, but I have to discuss it. Russell Westbrook in the fan in Utah reminded me of the discussion I seen today with my good friend who was involved in that brawl back in the day and has been doing a terrific job on TV, if I do say so myself. He's been doing a terrific job on TV. And he discussed, you know, the importance of being a man versus maintaining your composure in those types of uh, situations. Um, what are your thoughts on Russell Westbrook? Do you think he overreacted? I think with Russ, CJ, that there is such a perception of him that he's this really highly emotional, electric guy that feeds off of the crowd but also, you know, doesn't have the maturity or the uh, ability to avoid these situations. You've seen it before. I I don't know what was said. I I can tell you that in the heat of a moment, when you just lost another playoff series and, you know, basically you have the whole summer now to think about it, when when, when fans – I know they paid a lot of money for those seats, but when they have a phone in your face and maybe they're saying something really bad, who knows? I I understand why he gets so frustrated. It's not a good look. It do, it doesn't reflect particularly well on him or the organization. But um, I feel like a guy in that point, like five minutes or two minutes after a playoff loss, especially a series loss, that's when players are most vulnerable. And I can't imagine you being in that situation. But again, it's not. Everybody's different, and, and a guy like Russ, who's so emotional, I can see why and how it happens. Yeah, and I don't, I don't have the best of attitudes when I'm angry. I try to stay as composed as possible. But when someone is talking about your family, making derogatory remarks about your wife, right. your kids, um, and you're already angry, there's there comes a time where a lot of things are set aside because these people wouldn't be saying these things to our faces. Uh, off the court, as, exactly. Russ, as Russ pointed out. Exactly. And you know if you walk past someone and you could actually do the things you wanted to do to them and say the things you wanted to say to them, they wouldn't say those things to a 6'5 specimen or 6'8 specimen. You know you know what I mean? So I think it's just disrespectful to where we are human beings. Although we're being paid a lot of money and you paid your money for your seat, you still have to respectfully follow the rules and guidelines of right. of being a fan in the NBA, understanding that you can be ejected and you will be held accountable if you cross those lines. As Steven Jackson said, you cross those lines, I mean, anything can happen out there. So I think it's just important people realize that we, we are humans. As I said on Twitter, I'm a human and I have emotions, just like normal people. Just because I make X amount of dollars and do this for a living doesn't mean I'm a robot. So I think people have to... Stack Jack. Yeah, Stack Jack. He knows. Stack Jack, and that's my guy. He knows. He's doing a great job out there, and we might have to get him on the pod at some point, too. I'd Uh, love to. He's been great. That would be... You know what, though? To your your point about Twitter, it's it's the same thing with Twitter, like keyboard courage on Twitter behind a computer screen when people say, CJ can't create his own shot. They're not saying that to your face, man. (laughs) Yeah, I, I mean, I would be able to overcome it if they did, but... Uh, speaking of Twitter, we have a poll in place. Uh, we're going to do this every week where basically we ask fans to, to vote on different subjects 
and get their opinions about them before we discuss them. And one of the, one of the topics we proposed was uh, a very, very good question. What's more likely to occur? The Cavs making it to the finals or the Warriors winning the finals? And the fans spoke very, very loudly. Uh, I think we had over 2,000 votes as of, I don't know, 14 minutes ago. And it was 44% in favor of, I think 44% in favor of the Warriors and 56% of the voters in favor of the Cavs not making it to the finals. Um, how far do you this think LeBron can carry the Cavs? I think LeBron is capable of carrying them to the finals. Well, it'd is. be an A straight. And and I think they match up a lot better against Toronto than they do against Indiana. Indiana's tough, man. And, and they played them really well. I, I just think Cleveland has Toronto's number. I think they'll be much more accustomed in this series with, you know, a seven-game series against Indiana with all those new guys getting accustomed to this team and their roles. I think that matters. And I think LeBron is, especially with Boston, vulnerable. I know they played great in game one, but I think LeBron going to the finals, it it really feels like um, they're going to find their stride. And, and Golden State has been terrific. They have the highest, and this is shocking, the highest uh, point differential in the, in the playoffs so far. But I don't know. Houston seems like they can at least give them a real run. And I'm not sure anybody's going to beat LeBron four times in the East. Yeah, I mean, looking at the roster for the Cavaliers, you have to remember that uh, George Hill had some back issues, so he was slowed up and wasn't as effective as the Cavaliers would have liked. Uh, Kevin Love's play was up and down. Rodney Hood's play was up and down. I think as the players get more comfortable with each other, uh, as they figure out their roles, figure out their rotations, I think Ty Lue's going to continue to play with the rotation, give Tristan Thompson more minutes because he was very, very effective and impacted the game with his screening, rebounding, and energy. And I kind of got back to the old Cavs where they had Tristan at the five, put Love at the four, allow LeBron to play a little flex one-two while guarding the one. People underestimate the importance of rest on defense, and LeBron was able to rest guarding Darren Collison. He played off of him. He basically switched all screens and kind of rested and was able to really put work in on the offensive end. But looking at the Raptors – they're a very, very deep team, but as I told Rick, our, our team security, LeBron has been their kryptonite. I don't see him losing to the Raptors. Um, DeMar and Kyle are very, very good players in their own rights, all-star caliber players, but I'm not sure that team can beat LeBron, a LeBron James-led team right now. I think the bench isn't very, very well improved and will help contribute, but I just feel like he's been their kryptonite. They could pr- prove me wrong. They could, and... I would, there's nothing more I would love to, to see than a, a very, very competitive game, very, very competitive series. You've seen how live they are. Well, Toronto, Toronto's got – I mean, they got home court, which, which helps. They, they are extremely deep. Um, we've talked about DeLon Wright and, and Van Vliet and obviously Lowry and DeRozan. I will say that going back to the Warriors and trying to find you know, the, the bigger odds in terms of them winning it or LeBron going to the finals, the Warriors are – Almost 15-plus net rating with Curry this year, under three without him. And I know he's playing game two. You just wonder how healthy he is um, and is he going to be 100% because uh, he makes all the difference for them. I know they were able to handle San Antonio, and and it's it's just a totally different team without him on the floor. They are a totally different team. However, I will say this. They looked, excuse my language, D-A-M-N good last game. They moved the ball. A lot of players stepped up. Iggy was great. Sean Livingston was great. Um, the funny part. Kevin Looney's been good. The funny part is Kevin Looney. He had the highest plus minus out of everybody, and Shaq and them were arguing on set talking has, about his impact. He has the highest net rating in the playoffs. 
Number is, one. Which is crazy. I think there's a combination of playing well, screening, being in the right spots at the right time, and playing with the right players at the right time because that bench unit is great, but he gets a taste of both both worlds. He plays with the bench unit and succeeds. He rebounds. He finishes well around the basket, and he also gets to play with the starters too. And uh, it just so happens that the Warriors are a team of runs, and those runs they go on can be epic. And I think with Steph Curry returning, the, the Oracle's going to be rocking tonight. Uh, the fans are going to be engaging. It, it'll be interesting to see how long it takes for him to get those legs underneath him before uh, they're off and yeah. running. Because you know it's going to take a little well, bit of time. Also, it's going to take a little bit of time. Yeah, it will. It, it, it will. Maybe a game or two. Uh, they're also, we talked about net rating. Just to give you an idea, this is obviously without Steph, so maybe they're not so vulnerable. Number one through four in playoff net rating. Looney, Green is two, KD is three, Iggy's four. So they've been very, very good. It also helps when you win by 30. <laughs> that does help. <laughs> when you yes. win by 30. And <laughs> that six. makes a little bit of a difference. We've got more pull-up in a second, but first... I want to talk to you about Travel Portland. I'm lucky enough to spend the majority of the year in Portland, and even though I'm a little biased, I think it's one of the best places in the country for people to visit. To start with, if you like wine the way I do, Willamette Valley boasts some of the most delicious Pinot Noirs around, and it's only 45 minutes outside of the city. Also, summer in Portland is amazing. You can hit Portland's Forest Park for a hike, bike ride, or run. It's one of the largest urban forests in the United States. And if you're looking for even more of an adventure, windsurfing, kayaking, hiking, Mount Hood, the Columbia River Gorge, and the coast are all reachable within a couple of hours. Jordan, what do you like to do in Portland? I love to bike in Portland, CJ. It's a great city to maneuver around because it's so walkable. I also think the food is excellent. Some of the Italian and sushi for me are go-tos. That's dope, man. We'll have to take a, a bike trip around Portland next time you're in town. You don't have to be active to have a good time. Portland has a great farm to table eateries and food carts. Nong's is a good Thai place, in addition to spots like Portland Saturday Market and ADX, where you can enjoy art and interact with local entrepreneurs. So, if you want to get away and check out a spot I love, visit TravelPortland.com to start planning your trip. You can, in Portland. Now, back to the show. You know who else is playing extremely well? Um, the guy with the beard who, who scored 40-plus in, in, in six playoff games, uh, surpassing essentially everyone on the, uh, on the Houston Rockets history, besides, besides one guy. Can you guess who that one guy is? His name might be uh, Harden. Arizona State, Arteza High School. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's the guy. That's the guy who's playing extremely well. And there's rumors that he's dating Ashanti. We can talk about that later. I don't know how that will affect yeah. the Houston Rockets in the playoffs. But... They beat the brakes off the Jazz in game one. And it's funny because the Jazz lost game one against the Thunder as well. And uh, people overreacted in panic. They were without Ricky Rubio. Donovan Mitchell may have rolled his ankle. We're not sure what happened there. But I think the series will be a little bit more competitive than it was in game one. Uh, I I look forward to seeing Snyder's adjustments. He's a very good coach. And uh, it'll be interesting to see what they do with James Harden because he did put up 40 and hit seven threes. He He was sensational. He's been sensational. Can you just talk a little bit, too, about how he is underrated as a passer, CJ? Because he's such a good playmaker, but he also he, – he's, he's unselfish to a degree. He sees the floor really well. I mean, everybody talks about his scoring, but, God, I mean, this guy makes everybody better, whether it's the lob, uh, to Capella, some of the, his ability to create in the lane and find – just make the right decision. Just, just give me a sense of maybe how underrated he is as a passer and a facilitator in general. 
I think that's one of the things that was very, very underrated about him when he was in Oklahoma City. I think the, the Thunder's best lineup when he was in Oklahoma City was him at the one, Russell at the two, Jeff Green, and uh, KD. I think that was one of their most yeah. versatile lineups because it allowed Russell Westbrook to attack from the wing, getting downhill, still being able to play one because essentially if they get the rebound and they outlet to James and James passes ahead to, to Russ, he's coming downhill just as he would uh, as the point guard, you know, catching the ball around around the half-court area and being able to attack downhill before the defense gets set. And I think also with James' ability to play in the pick and roll, and one of the things that's so underrated about him is his skip pass. He's able to throw that skip pass on a dime, going left or going right, preferably exactly. preferably yeah. going left, and then they can set that flare screen on the backside so Trevor Reza is either in the corner or rising up. And P.J. Tucker's the corner king of threes. You know, he lives in that corner. He understands the percentages there, and he's able to knock that down at a high clip. But Trevor Reza on the weak side, you got Chris Paul on the weak side, and then you have that, that lob threat with Clint Capella which makes them a very, very, very dangerous team. As you've seen before, Clint Capella has been dominating. He, he, was, he was excellent in OKC. He's been, he was dominant in uh, game one against Gobert in Utah. And he's showing why it's going to be hard for the Houston Rockets to keep him. They're going to have to come out the pocket because teams are going to be looking at the chops to get a chance to, to either, one, break up that Houston Rockets team, you know, kind of separate some things with that roster, or two, hurt their pockets so that they're not able to potentially sign other free agents going forward. Yeah, yeah, and you mentioned Capella. I mean, I, you know, I like Carl Anthony Towns a lot, but he was he was a better player in that series against Towns. Um, he went 16, 14, and two, and shot over sixty seven percent in that series. So he was sensational. And you know, Houston's whole thing, obviously, shoot threes and get out in transition. You know, all this is predicated off of off of Harden and Chris Paul and their playmaking ability. And I will say this. He's not an elite defender, but Harden was better. He tried. He, he really gave an effort against Minnesota. Um, and if he continues to do that, there's no reason why Wait, he did you can't say make he, a real run. Of, did you say title. he gave an effort against Minnesota? <laughs> I, I thought he really he, – he, he made switch. He, he was able to guard the post a little bit. He picked up some blocks. He, he gave an effort. No, no, I think he did. I think he did give effort. I think he always gives effort. Sometimes he's a little lackadaisical, as we all are. Carrying a big offensive uh, load can allow you to be tired at times and lose sight of your man and ball. But I think Chris Paul has been on him about that. CP has been on him about his defense, you know, taking the challenge, understanding that offensively you're a juggernaut. You're able to do essentially everything. Defensively, that's what's going to separate you from being one of the best players ever, although he's on pace to to still accomplish that. Well, he – he just has to be at. He just has to be adequate, right? And is that fair? Right. Like he just he has to be, be adequate. Adequate defender. Be able to keep your man in front of you, and worst comes to worst, you funnel him. You funnel him right to the big right. fella. And that's what they have in Capella, who's a shot blocking monster right now. Exactly. Exactly. I don't want to change the topic, but I was scrolling on Twitter and I seen Kim Kardashian unfollow Trishan Thompson, and then drops more nudes on Instagram. I thought oh. that, I thought that was hilarious. <laughs> I thought that was hilarious, and I had to. I had to share, man. I, I thought it was only right that I share. Speaking of Trishan Thompson, getting back to him, he's playing extremely well. Be interested to see who starts tonight against the Raptors. And turning the page a little bit, we talked about the importance of coaching 
not only in the regular season but in playoffs, how the scouting improves, how pick and roll coverage has changed. Teams kind of lock in on you, as we've seen uh, in these series. Uh, Victor Oladipo facing some double teams after his uh, explosion in game one. KD faced a little bit of double teams but was able to pass out and allow Klay Thompson to get hot, allow some other players, Draymond Green, to to really make plays and, and alter the game. Um, will the Toronto Raptors double team LeBron James at times is, is a good question we can discuss later. But the other question yeah. to propose yeah. is Brad Stevens. He's without Kyrie Irving, Gordon Hayward, Jalen Brown, and doesn't miss a beat. Doesn't miss a beat. Terry Rozier is playing out of his mind. Shout out to Shout out to my guy Terry Rozier from Ohio. Jason Tatum is showing that if the Celtics have to make a decision at some point, which they will with Gordon Hayward, Jason Tatum, and Jalen Brown. And I'm going to jump the page a little bit and say that the decision could be how how can we change our roster and how can we acquire Kawhi Leonard? And I think one of the ways they could do that is to decide between Jason Tatum and, and Jalen Brown and then decide uh, the future of Gordon Hayward. And if it's the right move for them to, to make a move to bring in Kawhi Leonard. Or you just keep all the young bucks, let them fight, let fight, fight for the minutes, and then hope uh, you're able to hold on to one of them. Well, what do you think their best lineup is right now, Boston? Like, is it Tatum and Brown together? Do you feel like they kind of eat each other's shots away? I mean, because they're totally different players in the sense right. of Tatum's got more of that wiggle. Brown's more of a dog, you know, you know, a little more bounce. They're, I think they complement each other pretty well, actually. I think they complement each other extremely well. That's not the problem. The problem is when Gordon Hayward comes back and their minutes get cut because they have to split minutes with him, and well, you get yeah. a taste of that I playoff think, life. I think they could trade. Yeah. You get a right. taste of that playoff life, Tatum has been killing in the playoffs, 20-plus, 28. Jalen Brown's having career highs in the playoffs, 34, 36. They're showing that they're capable of carrying a load, and they're only 19, 21 years old, so they're only going to get better. How do you go back to a bench roll after getting a taste of that? That's going to be the problem. They got a taste of success. They're playing well. They know who they are now. How do you go back to a bench roll? Will they be willing to accept that? And if they're not, then that's when you have to choose. Is it Gordon Hayward? Is it Jalen Brown? Is it a combination of those two? Is it Jason Tatum? And then looking at their values, as you said before, and I've been saying this for, for, I don't know, five months, Jalen Brown is a dog. And by dog, I mean he's aggressive. He's fierce. He's willing to take bad shots and willing to live with the consequences. Jason Tatum is a skilled assassin. He has footwork. He has fadeaways. He has finishing around the basket. He's an elite shooter as a rookie. By elite, I mean being able to shoot 40-plus percent from three on, high, on a high volume of attempts. So whose value is higher between the two is what you have to figure out. And then you decide if it's to move them for a superstar or not. Yeah, I don't think the Celtics can coexist with all three players, Hayward, Brown, and Tatum. To me, there's just too much duplicity there. I feel like Hayward can make it work, but you have two great young players that are really coming in their own, and it's a little bit twisted, but Hayward ultimately might not be a long-term answer despite the fact that he just signed that big contract last summer. And there's only so much money that can go around looking at that roster, looking at the fact that Kyrie will be returning, the fact that Terry Rozier is a free agent who you probably want to bring back because he showed value, will be a great, great addition to that to that roster with or without Kyrie coming back because of the severity of the injury, not sure how many months it'll be. You look at 
Smart. Smart's going to be a free agent. Do you resign him or do you let him go? There's a lot of decisions that have to be made. And then you've got two potential max players at the same position, which isn't a problem. The problem will be when there's only, I don't know, between the two guard and the three guard position, there's 48 minutes. 48 minutes, right? 48 at the two, 48 at the right. three. And one of them's starting, one of them's not starting. So how do you split? How do you split that up? That's the tough dilemma that, that Brad's going to have to face as, well, a, as a coach. Yeah, I don't think I don't think Smart can come back just because they Rozier is clearly their second best guard, um, and he gives them some of that bulldog defensive mentality. Now he's not smart, but his pick and roll ability, his ability to score, I, I just he's fantastic. He he is really good. You mentioned the Ohio connection, guy that obviously was underdrafted and has made the most of an opportunity. But going back to Brad Stevens. He, 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 this guy is so good. I, I said on Twitter, he's a basketball coaching Houdini. Uh, you know, he, he said, we're not going to let MB beat us. We're going to double him every single time. We're going to frustrate him. We're going to make him annoyed. And then they didn't allow any threes. And I know it's one game, small sample size, but Boston is the number one overall defensive efficiency team in the league for a reason. And for me, it's Brad Stevens. Yeah, they've done it different ways with different players stepping up, you know, being able to execute. And somebody who's very, very underrated is Al Horford, and we will discuss him in a moment. But first, Terry Rozier strolling into the game with the Drew Bledsoe jersey on after calling Eric Bledsoe Drew Bledsoe is the most savage thing I've seen um, so in, in this playoffs. So and good. I called him Tom Petty. It was very, very petty. He's going <laughs> to win an award for that pettiness. And I think that the funniest part is that he did that. It was, it was a lot of... A lot of notoriety around it. Social media was blowing up. Everybody was talking about it. He just said, uh, I like Drew Bledsoe. Uh, I've never had a conversation with him, but I think he knows who I am now. And Drew Bledsoe was like, you know it. You know it. The long ball. Talked about the long ball. Drew Bledsoe, big wine guy, see? Double back. Double back. Yep. That's what I like to hear, man. I'm, I'm happy about that. But one of the most underrated signings of the summer, some people said he was overpaid, Al Horford, getting paid a lot of money, does everything. He rebounds, he can defend, he can initiate the offense, as we've seen firsthand uh, with him hitting the game winner against us and running some point guard while Kyrie was out. Uh, he can post up, he can finish around the basket, and he can shoot threes. But not, not much is said about him. Uh, I think he, at times he's underappreciated. I won't say he's underappreciated in the sense that the NBA knows who he is and what he can do. Obviously, the Boston Celtics know who he is and what he can do. But the casual fan won't recognize and appreciate the dirty work that Al Horford does on a day-to-day basis. Well, just look at what he did against Embiid and how he he could extend him away from the basket with his three-point shooting. He's shooting 70% Horford is, true shooting percentage in the playoffs. He's been sensational. He can guard. He can pass. He initiates the offense. All of their lineups with him on the floor are, are better on both ends of the floor offensively and defensively. You know, CJ, we talk a lot about, you know, being unselfish on offense. There's also being unselfish defensively, rotating, you know, just helping, helping, helping. He, he, his basketball acumen is through the roof. Um, you know, I don't know if there is a more unappreciated star. I mean, he's an all-star, but I don't think most people would, would consider him a real star, and to me, he is. 
Yeah, I think he's played extremely well. I'm happy to see him succeeding, happy to see the impact he's having on that franchise and team. And I won't take it as far as to say he shut down Embiid because Embiid did have 31 five assists and I don't know how many rebounds but defensively he was tired he was tired because he had to work hard on offense yeah. face double teams and then Horford had him working all night chasing him around guard on the perimeter taking him away from the basket to create clear driving lines for the rest of the Boston Celtics team he makes he makes 27.7 million this year he'll make 29 next year and 30 the year after yeah so he you're not, paying him he, he not like under he not underpaid or underappreciated i will say that i get your money big he, fella he is not un- get your money. no yeah get your money he's 31 he's got three more maybe two more really good years and he's obviously maximized so good for him yeah i'm i'm always always happy to see that happy to see guys get paid we haven't played any games yet today I am very fired up about this game. Are you ready for this game? Well, I, I, I don't know because because you're the one that's ultimately going to be the deciding factor. <laughs> and we have some fun with this show. We've had some good games. This one might be a weekly edition. It's called Bet or No Way. I'm going to make three predictions, and Mr. McCollum is going to decide if he's with them or if they're too wild. Number one, Kawhi Leonard is not a spur next year. Bet. You like it? I like it. I mean, I don't I don't hope it happens. Or I'm not wishing bad on the Spurs organization. I want to clarify this right now. But based on what we've seen, obviously there's something wrong with the hamstring. There's, there's a disconnect between uh, his group. By his group, I mean the doctors he's hired independently. Uh, apart from the, the Spurs organization, there's a disconnect or a disagreement in between what's wrong with the injury how fast he was supposed to come back and with him being away from the franchise in New York for you know extended periods of time I'm sure he's had some time to kind of think about his future and uh, what he would like to receive out of it but I'm willing to bet based on the rumors of I don't know bigger markets you hear people say LA which is what I, I think will happen uh, you you also hear whispers about you know the Sixers whispers about uh, the New York Knicks um, another sleeper as I said before would, could potentially be the Boston Celtics but uh I think that based okay. on based on what we've seen, it's there's a high high likelihood that he will no longer be with the franchise uh, in the future. High likelihood. Okay, I, I could see that every single day. I mean, it, to me, that's I just can't imagine he's back. Okay, number two, Paul George to the Lakers. Uh bet. <laughs> As we said last last uh, last podcast on pull. That's what D Wade said, right? He, yeah. D-Wade said if he could see him somewhere else, it would be the Lakers. I it mean. would be the Lakers. I mean, you, you look at the writing kind of being on the wall. He's from L.A. Uh, he, he's always wanted to, to play in L.A. From, from all signs and indications on his personality and just his overall, the way he carries himself. I feel like he wants to be in L.A. I feel like that's home. And the season didn't go as planned in Oklahoma. I think he gave it a try, and I think going forward he will be moving on with his life. But I could be wrong. I could be completely wrong, but I doubt it. I think he's he's ready to take those steps and uh, get back home. Okay, this is a little more relevant right now. We've talked a lot about Anthony Davis on the show. How about this? Anthony Davis pushes single-handedly, or at least led by him, helps the Pelicans push the Warriors to at least six games. No. no. Not a chance. Not a chance. I don't see it happening based on 
the Warriors team, how deep they are, how well they execute, and how disciplined they are. They rarely lose two games in a row. And Steph Curry, who's unanimous MVP at once upon a time, two-time MVP, all-star, creates a different type of, I say, magnetism on the court. When he's on the court, he's like a magnet. He attracts defenders. He attracts eyes. You have to be aware of where he is at all times. You have to guard him two feet behind the three-point line, which creates more space for KD, Igudala, Draymond Green, Klay Thompson, Sean Livingston, David West, Nick Young. I could go on, but I won't. My point is, they're a very, very dangerous team. They're experienced. They've been they've been down this road before. Um, championship caliber, championship level team. They defend at a high level, and they play a, fr- a fun brand of basketball to where they get out and run, and they tempt you. They tempt you into playing fast with them. They tempt you into taking quick shots, quick threes, and they pounce. So with, okay, him, so, with him coming back, yeah. I, as I said before the series started to my brother, Anthony Davis is good enough to win one game by himself. If he gets some okay. more help, well, some other guys step up, he could get two. But I think that they're, they're good enough. You know, the, the, the Pelicans shot about 50% last game. And still we're down by 28. It wasn't even a game to start the fourth quarter. So offensively, it's not the problem. It's being able to stop the Warriors. And you couldn't stop them without Steph. How will you stop them with Steph? It's a great question. Well, yeah. And then I guess my follow would be then that Utah, out of the lower-seeded teams against Houston, you would say, then has a better better chance of an upset than, than uh, the Pelicans. Is Abs- that, absolutely. Mean, that is absolutely okay. a bet okay. because – for one, this is Houston's first time, you know, assembling this team with the new additions of Trevor Ariza, uh, yes. PJ Tucker, Chris Paul. Historically, historically speaking, um, Houston has faltered at times. I think they were, I think they were in a position to to succeed in years past and and failed. And James Harden, who has who has played MVP caliber basketball, uh, has has turned the ball over a lot in, in years past in the playoffs, in deciding games, in deciding games. He's still getting his 30, doing things of that nature, but his field goal percentages have gone down in deciding games, and his turnovers have gone up. So the the fact that they're playing extremely well, this is a new team, a new year, they have new identity, new life, and they have that experience. They have that experience of losing to the Spurs in, in years past. They have that experience of uh, not not making it to the finals and, and dropping games. I think they're ready. However, the Warriors have done it, you know, what is this? Four years, five years in a row. This will be four years of the finals or five years straight to the finals. Something along this lines. would be num- number five. Five straight years to the finals. No, that, this would be number four. Four no, straight years to four. the finals, yeah. and this would be Katie. Katie's been in the finals multiple times. Steph's been in the finals multiple times. Draymond, like they've all been there so many times, and Chris Paul has never been to the Western Conference Finals. So there's a lot of unknowns out there. A lot of unknowns, and I think that it's not likely that the Rockets lose to the Jazz. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying it's more likely to happen than the Warriors losing to the New Orleans Pelicans. Okay, so then I could say that James Harden is the next Joe Ingles. <laughs> how, how about my boy Joe Ingles against Paul George, though? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I mean, come on. Lefty, dynamic. Joe Ingles is, Joe Ingles is, give- is a good player in his own right. He shoots the ball extremely yeah, well. Yeah, I know. I'm, he can't hold a, a candle hooper. up to James Harden. He can't hold a candle up. He can't. If if James Harden is a ten, what is CJ McCollum? What do you mean if James Harden is a ten? I don't think anybody's a on ten. A one to ten. Nobody's a perfect basketball All right. player. All right. If Harden's a nine on a one to ten, <laughs> there you go. Be the best. What is CJ? 
But here's what you also have to realize. We're in two different positions, two different roles. James Harden went from well, went from being the third option in Oklahoma City to being the first option in Houston. Was able to learn, grow, get used to having his own team, play through mistakes, take lots of shots, take take the most threes anybody's ever seen in the history of the NBA in terms of, of the offense they run in Houston. And I'm on a team where I have another all-star caliber player on a team who was drafted there before me, who's uh, been in EVP conversations in his own right. And our, t- our team, the way we play, the dynamics of our team, we have an equal opportunity flow offense where we run thumb, we run motion, we run a lot of stuff. Uh, just the way we play is completely different than the Houston Rockets. So it's hard to compare two players in two different positions, different circumstances. But I think James Harden is one of the best two guards to ever play in the NBA and will be a Hall of Famer. I will say that. I appreciate your candor, but that was we're going to come back to this, and I'm going to get you on the record talking about yourself because you don't do it much. I don't talk but, about myself. There's you know, no need to. Get, this podcast isn't about me. It's about the life of an NBA player. Get, <laughs> Maybe get a little Pino going, and, and you'll start saying, you know, you're this and that. We, hey, I give you facts. I'm a very good NBA player. James Harden is an elite basketball player. He's in a different tier. He has his own shoe, $200 plus million dollar deal, 40-plus points, uh, six-plus six times in the playoffs. Uh, I'm, I'm in a different situation than him. I think I can, there's, a, there's, a, there's a time and a place that where at some point I will get to that level. A lot of hard work. A lot of things have to go in your favor, and then the opportunities come. I think I can get there, but I'm not. I'm not seen the same I, way as him because of situations, because of where we're at in our lives. He's obviously older. He's been in the league longer, and uh, he's done it time and time again, longer than me. So I think that's that's. Uh, there's a lot of things that go into that, but he's a great player. I'm, I'm I'm impressed with the development he's made. His passing, his ability to finish around the basket, his step backs unstoppable. The the euros. He has a lot of stuff in his game that makes him. Extremely, extremely elite. But with that being said, we will be able to have some great, great conversations because I have some players who have said they will come on the podcast, including KD. There's a lot of players out there who will come on the podcast once the season has concluded, and we will have some great discussions. KD is also a Pino guy. Um, Gary V, who lives in New York area, will be coming on the podcast. There's a lot of people, and we are up for debate. We will allow uh, input from fans, input from listeners out there uh, based on who they would like to hear on the podcast. We will go from athletes to entertainers to actors to actresses to executives, uh, whatever the case may be. We, we look forward to really, really extending the show. Speaking of wine, what do you have for me, Jordan? I think I'm going to be pulling up tonight. What's, what's on tap for tonight? Well, we're going to start with Litterai. That is one of my go-to Pinots. Beautiful, light, clean, it's, uh, it's a California Pinot, very, very special wine, and I think you're going to love it. Okay, I'm looking forward to that. I may have to bring a sparkling wine that I just was gifted the other day. It was a sweet red semi-sparkling wine that was uh, bottled in Italy, made in Italy, and I, it, it was pretty good, not going to lie to you. It was pretty good. It was gifted to me by a friend. Uh, shout out to Rich. Rich actually gifted me this. I shall bring a bottle because I can't ever come empty can't ever come empty-handed so you let me know what you think about just so everybody knows i gave cj some wine last summer and he basically flushed it down the toilet (laughs) (laughs) i have not stuffed it down the toilet you were like this is trash dog in fact i still have it i haven't drank it yet i still have it that's a joke i still have it what do you that's a joke what do you mean it's a joke i had i saved it because that's how important it is to me I saved it. No, you forgot about it, and it's in, it's in probably in your basement. Drink it's, that. Drink those grapes, man. It's not in my basement. It's here in New York. 
it's still here. All right. And Actually, I will you did drink tell it. me that. Okay. I will drink it in honor of you. In honor of you, I will right. drink it. And that's a fact. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. You. That is a cab. I gave you a cab, so it's not a peanut. That's good. Cab's got strong, bold taste. I really look forward to that. I really look forward to that. That will bring out the best in me, for sure. Oh, and before we go, I have to mention, I have been nominated for the NBA's Community Assist Award for the year. So feel free to vote. You can vote by using the hashtag CJ McCollum and also hashtag NBA Community Assist. Thanks. And hopefully we can make a difference in these kids' lives. But we appreciate all our listeners out there tuning in faithfully to the pull-up pod. Uh, Feel free to subscribe. We need those subscriptions, comments, suggestions. We're all ears for that stuff. Uh, follow the show at Pull Up Pod on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Follow me at CJ McCollum on Twitter, at 3J McCollum on Instagram, at CJM313 on Snapchat. Jordan, where can they follow you at? At Schultz underscore report on Instagram and Twitter, my man. That's what I like to hear, man. And, and tune in next week. We will be talking about the wine we're going to devour as we watch the playoffs. And we also will talk about potential vacation destinations for those who have been eliminated from the playoffs, like myself. Cabo Wabo. Also, don't forget to pull, pull up. up.